Hey, Dame. What's up, Kiss? I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcast? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the app store where you get all the other things. That yeah. You, you going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. <gasps> yeah. Pay, pay us more money, folks. <laughs> that's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. <laughs> see, that's how good we are at selling things. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it. gentlemen, gender non-conforming and trans deities, welcome to another exciting episode, that's how you say episode in French, um, <laughs> of Hoodwazee. I'm your host, Ricardo Gamboa, or Ricardo Gamboa. You see that colonized tongue code switching right over there. You didn't know, you didn't know, but now you do, right? Now you're educated. Um, we are so excited to have the show tonight. We're bringing you another exciting episode of Pandemic Issues. Um, as you know, Pandemic Issues is our collaboration with Southside Weekly, uh, where we bring you every week uh, the radical analysis and stories and perspectives that uh, mainstream local media is not. Um, that's why we're taking back the narrative. We are taking it back. We are re-narrating shit. Um, <laughs> we're giving you the shit you need. Um, so we're super excited to be doing this show. Uh, this show is called Power and, um, I actually forgot the title of this show. It's called po Power, Politics and Resistance. Uh, Pandemic. Power, Poli This show is called Power, Politics and Pandemics. Um, <laughs> and really what we're really excited to talk about is um, just how we have been surviving and fighting and uh, during this moment of the pandemic and uprisings. Uh, one of the things that's, uh, that is really cool is that we, actually I'll get to that in a minute. I'm all over the place today. It's because I'm so excited. You're all over the damn place. Right. Let, let Charles do the show. Yeah, Charles, <laughs> Charles has a cleaner no. life than this shit. I'm you your can't host. just volunteer black people like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the co-host. Anyway, I'm, I'm your host or co-host Ricardo Gamboa. Uh, pronouns are they, them. I'm known in Latin America and Europe as Bad Bitch University. Um, and this is my co-host. Introduce yourself. My name is Charles Alexander Preston. This is my R&B voice. I am a Taurus. Um, <laughs> we're drinking I like it. I like Jack it. Daniels. Oh. <laughs> so let's have some fun. Right. We need a better budget. We do. We for <laughs> um, <laughs> um, our guests tonight. You can see their names in the corner of their Zoom blocks. We got from uh, the, the Hoodwazi social media manager and uh, All Star and the uh, auntie for the Shy Nations Youth Council. We got Janie Pichelle up in the house. Hey. 
If you didn't know, she was the aunt of the Shy Nations Youth Council. She got a big fucking sign that says Shy Nations Youth Council in the background. She's that's oh, <laughs> uh, from Black Lives Matter Chicago and Umedics. And uh, we got Amika, Big Tree, Tendaji. <laughs> that, yes. She, yes. She's going to be cotton candy today. Um, <laughs> from the hashtag Let Us Breathe Collective. We got one of my favorite humans in the world, Damon. Yes. Look at that cute little pumpkin patch face right there. Uh, educator and organizer, radicalizing youth for decades now. We got Hilda Franco. Yeah. Hey. Awana of all trades, master of them all. We have Laura Ramirez, who is with El Foro del Pueblo. She's a binational activist. All of Lada's bio says she's a binational activist. Binational. Like, Stop hating. I'm a binational activist. I'm a top and a bottom, depending on how many. <laughs> first, uh, first, first national activist. We got one of my other favorite humans in the world. Let's give it up for Daniel Kisslinger, uh, co-host <laughs> and uh, creator of Ergo with Damon, and also a Hoodwazi producer, editor, and helped me get this shit off the ground. Um, so... This is Politics, Pandemic, and God damn it, Power, Politics, and Pandemic is the title of this show. And I am super excited to be doing it because the people that you see here on this call are not some of the people that have been at the forefront of um, some of the moments that you've been seeing this time, whether it's uh, tackling the Columbus statue or charging uh, 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 against Hillco um, in Little Village for uh, bombing uh, the community during a pandemic. They also... Um, are people that help shape what the Hoodwazi was going to be offering uh, during this uh, during the pandemic time. And so most of the people you see on this call um, have been a part, I've been on the show several times. And when we were deciding if we should bring the show back, um, participated in it. Uh, the Never Normal Anthology that me and Lauda are finishing editing um, that should be coming out in a few weeks was something that uh, Damon uh, gave us when he was saying that we need to, you know, educate people that we should never go back to normal again. The guides that many people, uh, you know, saw and got excited about and shared about how to weather the pandemic uh, came from Hilda Franco. Um, and, uh, you know, so just grateful to everybody on this call for the work they've been doing with us, uh, the work they're doing in the world and the way they shape what we're putting out into the world. Um, so, yo, who knew? We talked about like... <laughs> The amount I look at all these faces, the amount of times I got drunk with you all and talked about like revolution or the moment is coming, and then like, yo, shit, really oh shit, I'm I'm just a little like I didn't make the favorite humans thing, and all your favorite humans have a penis. Did you notice that only people with penises are his favorite humans? No, that is not even how it is. I just see, I'm just so used to seeing Damon and Daniel and seeing Daniel all the time. And I haven't seen them in a minute. So like, and I, I haven't seen them during this. So I just got excited. Like when I moved back to Chicago from New York, one of the first thing I did was end up on Ergo um, and talk to them. And we went to that job grill right afterwards. So it's mm-hmm. just like, mm-hmm. you know I mean, old school right there. Victory, you are one of my favorite humans. We talked after the bringing the Lightfoot event for like three fucking hours and I was drunk. <laughs> Afterwards, I was like, yo, how did this happen? Um, all right. So as you all know, tonight, like I said, tonight we gather the Hoodwazi squad and all-stars for an epic roundtable on power politics and the pandemic. Um, and so many of us have been active before this moment and have found ourselves even more entrenched in action and organizing right now. So I guess I want to start off as like, what's the radical work you find yourself doing uh, during this uh, moment of pandemic and uprisings? And uh, if you want, bonus point, extra credit is, 
How does it differ from your activism and organizing before this moment? Now, I know generally in the hood, it's like, well, it's, like it's a conversation and it's an interview, right? And then like, it's a, we don't call it a, a, a we were like, it's a conversation, but it ends up feeling like an interview. Um, but this one, like, feel free to just wild out. You know, we don't have to go one person at a time. You know, when you want to get in, get in. Um, yeah, so what, what Everybody turn their mics on. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time. I think my radical work is taking my relationships like a lot more seriously. I think like, now we're all at these actions and even like hugging somebody, which used to be, you know, something you kind of take for granted is like risky and a thing to consider. And so like who I hug, who's in, you know, who, uh, how I'm building with who I'm just taking that. I think that's actually the most radical thing I'm doing now. Yeah. yeah. I think mine is kind of the same as big uh, trees is, before it was a lot of personal relationships, talking to people one-on-one. And now it's, you know, like we have to connect over the internet. We have to connect to somebody else that knows somebody and we have to meet in a safe place. You know, like it's, it's like a lot of things, but at the same time, we're still, you know, like I'm still doing the garden thing. I'm still doing the youth thing. I'm still building community and it just looks different now. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I thought about Angela Davis and her definition of radical, which is uh, to change things at the root. And I think for me, what's been changing is really how I think about myself in the world, right? And particularly looking at my history in Chicago and really trying to figure out, you know, how do I stay healthy? How do I stay sane? How do I do this long term? And also, how do I heal relationships that I think, you know, when you work in this work for a long time, you have just like in life, right? Think of things that happen and things that are not so good. And um, I had a lot of time to reflect, right? And thinking back around my own addition to the conflict. Uh, so for me, it's been a lot of reflection and sitting with myself and acknowledging the spaces where I need to grow and doing that internal work to heal myself. So I think for me, that's, you know, obviously we can talk about the street work, right? But if we're talking about internal radical work, I think for me, that would be the most uh, radical thing I'm doing, forgiving myself and others. I think for me, it's shifting a little bit of a focus of like who I'm organizing and and for what purpose. Um, I've worked so much realizing how much I've I've been doing radical education, historic story center work with young people and educators for so long that um, taking the streets and talking to people about history and movements and and even local history, like the the Pilsen stuff that we were doing, um, you know, the rallies that that I was part of organizing after the George Floyd uprising, um, I was just telling lots of people about like, historically, this is what was going on. Or like, th- these are like some historical moments and people saying, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And realizing like, oh shit, I spent a lot of time talking about this with young people <laughs> and don't necessarily talk to like the people around me who are adults or, um, you know, and, and really re- realizing how much of, of a gift that is and like the expertise of knowing that much history or our history, especially, um, and sharing that with people. Um, so I've been doing a lot of that now, just really um, engaging with people around those kinds of conversations. Yeah, Hill, that, that speaks right to, to my experience too. Like, you know, for so long, these conversations um, is in our pockets, you know, the radical nonprofit that comes and does a, a training for a day or, you know, this, <laughs> right, right. this panel over here that's happening at CTU because everything happens at CTU. Um, and at, at this point, <laughs> CTU does everything, yeah. <laughs> or, or the Invisible Institute. 
And at this point, it feels like there's a lot more work of like having a conversation with the world. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and there is this like outer world um, that, you know, are just like news watching kind of folks uh, that now are, are interested in, in thinking about systems uh, that, you know, we've been mm-hmm. been fighting against. So, that, so that's one thing. And like, I think that having that bigger conversation is coming out for me of like um, doing more container building. Um, so, you know, this defund CPD campaign and like, you know, the, the emerging black abolitionist network, um, you know, in, in many ways, it was just a symbolic effort to figure out how we can make the connections that are there or undefined, just like a little bit stronger. So um, being in conversations and like nurturing up, uh, like, you know, Good Kid, Mad City that, that, that right. are now coming into the, the own right. space, right? Like that feels really important to me. Um, and, and just having this space of like, oh, let's all go back here. Let's be in this park at this moment. Let's throw up this bad signal um, so that we can talk to more people and, and have a wider conversation uh, than people can have when nobody give a fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to building off that, it's really like reassuring and exciting that when people are ready to have the conversation or more people are ready to have the conversation, we've built some things so that we can respond and we have answers and we have mechanisms for that to happen. Um, as opposed to, you know, one, one thing that even before the uprisings began that Damon and I were doing with the show is we were doing this series interviewing people who are on the front lines of responding to the pandemic in different ways. Uh, and that could be everything from thought leaders to bus drivers to healthcare workers. And what emerged was like the people who were already doing the work before this were always the people who were leading when it happened. The people who had to try to build the system at the same time that they were relying on that system were the ones who were struggling. But the people who had been thinking about these questions and building those containers beforehand were ready when the moment came or more ready. Uh, and even if they didn't have it all the way built, uh, they knew what they were working toward and they didn't have to figure it out as they went. Um, so I think that's been really gratifying to see both like internally that we had done that, but also just see so many people who we know have been doing so much good work be ready to rise to the occasion. And also that like we didn't have to reinvent the message. Like we didn't have to like share a black mm-hmm. square and put out an open statement because like we had been like actually saying like this, this, this shit that we've been, you know, that we've been saying. I think for mm-hmm. me, one of the crazy things was like, you know, is obviously doing this show that's been kind of like uh, one of the like constants and like grounding things during the pandemic and the work that I've been doing. But like when the when the outbreak happened, I was like, we're going to like, we'll stop the show. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, um, we'll we'll stop the show. And I remember Ellen, who's, you know, so great and so formative to Hoodwazi being like, we shouldn't have our March 14th show and me being like, I really think we should. Right. Like. I think just because a couple of white people are freaking out at their nonprofits doesn't mean that like we should. And especially because when you think about something like Pilsen and Little Village and who comes to our show, right? Like I want to be able to give them um, that radical education or give them fucking toilet paper, right? Like that's where we were. I remember being like, oh man, like what if what if we send Alejandro to the Dollar Tree to grab the, you know, like, and so it was like, um, but it was weird. And then like, you know, we canceled the show. I think it was the right thing to do. Um, but I think one of the things that I thought a lot about was no one needs this show like no one needs uh the hood was to be doing shit because there's so much information popping out there's so much perspective coming it's like a cacophony of shit we don't need to add to the noise and like let's sit back and see how we can be useful because you know like at chicago we all know the activist community is gonna be like 50 mutual aid networks that pop up you know i mean we know you know like those are all the people that we've worked with or that we're friends with you know like and they did and then like i was like yo like uh, we'll see where we could fit in. And then the weird thing was the amount of response we were getting, like, are you bringing in the show? Are you bringing back the show? Are you bringing back the show? And I think it was Charles, you were like, yeah, we should bring back the show. Like people, you know, you were like, people have been asking, let's get on the, like, let's have a meeting. 
And like, it's been for me, like seeing the when McCormick Foundation reaches out to you, who like, we just talk shit about foundations all the time. We talk shit about philanthropy. Right. And like, we'll give you money. Keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> like for me like um yeah it, it, it was that um so like being involved in the hood was more than i ever been involved i guess now and also uh i don't know the pandemic hit i immediately thought about um like self-preservation to to a degree um and thinking about like my family like <laughs> my mom, my my grandmother, who's a, a, a senior, and so like making sure like they're okay, um, and, and and showing up for them. But then I'm also thinking about the greater community at large. So I started like mutual, like I started trying to do mutual aid efforts, volunteering, um, in uh, uh in Bronzeville, uh, at a food pantry, and that was like an experience. Um, but also like pushing the folks who I'm already like in community with, like family. And folks, I love like pushing their politics in this moment because I feel like I'm responsible, like to be and have all all this access to like this nonprofit world and these activist spaces. And then you have family members questioning the moment, not knowing like what the fuck to do. And so, like, I think it's our responsibility to not only like um, politicize them and radicalize them in this moment, but uh, uh, to you know push them, push them to act. And so, like, I think getting my family involved in like just volunteering for shit now like right. was, was was a win on my part um because it's something they never really saw themselves doing or something that they kind of like knew what was happening but didn't really um get involved in that way so that's a win jesus didn't even get his no, name for real, for real. I'm so- <laughs> you're better than me my my cousin was like you know black people you blew it you had a chance talking about it. you got violent during this protest i was like black I was like, I have not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You can't, you can't block them all. You have to actually right. have yeah. the right. hard conversation. Yeah. You have to, you gotta talk to your family. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta yeah. do that work, right? What I, what I encourage is a block and a text. So yeah. you can still block them. Get them off Facebook. Get that Facebook all the way out. But yeah, a little text on. But yeah. you gotta have that hard conversation. And I think, like, yeah. pandemic kind of. Uh, all the the anti blackness that we've seen, like I I I was talking to my friends about like y'all got to do this hard work and talk to your cousins, talk to your cousins. Absolutely. And then there was all this shit, and they're like, okay, now we got to talk to our cousins <laughs> in the march outside. It's not mm-hmm. as good. I was like, I, I I tried to tell you there was a more comfortable way to do this. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, thank you for saying that. Though, like, there's two things with the the beauty of what Charles was saying. Like seeing certain people like activate. Um, like seeing a, a long time queer, my queer best, my gay best friend, um, who was always got it but never wanted to take the streets with me. No, I don't do that, girl. I'm not that kind of gay. Right, like, like <laughs> you do you, you do you. Not girl, queer right? is in fucking police. Then, That's uh, yeah, and and then once uh. <laughs> You know, once the the Floyd protest started, he came out. He came out to the Pilsen protest. It was the first time I ever saw him on the streets. He came out with me downtown, right? And and that was really beautiful. Was this like moment to see certain people who um, you do give those chances, you do encourage, you do wait, you plant those seeds, and you nurture, um, and to see that that when the moment comes, that they activate. Um, and then there's the other side, right, of like recognizing that there's still a lot of anti-blackness in our community. 
Um, and that even our own people who are woke were ready to throw away. And I was like, wow, 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 mm-hmm. those are our bangers. Like we can't. Absolutely. We are bangers. We gotta collect. <laughs> like, we gotta- you know what though? That is a super radical thing that happened. And I don't know if we're gonna get to talk about it more, but when we had that game war in Little Village, right? Yeah. Going out there and literally being like, Oh literally shit, like there's nobody to, coming like- to save us, right? Like there's nobody coming to save us, right? So mm-hmm. we either come together and literally do the work that at least in my place, right? You think, oh, you know, I don't need to work with gay mayors. And then realizing that you're already in the mix, right? Because you have family and things happen and you don't, you know, so it's just so intense to recognize that survival. I think somebody mentioned it is a radical thing sometimes, right? Especially when shit pops off. But I did want to share a ratchet story that is radical, if that's okay. okay. With you. <laughs> and ratchet a ratchet, story. Radical story. So I joined Bumble because, you know, COVID, right? And I was like, oh, I'm not going to date nobody until, you know, we get papers, right? So we got papers. And I ended up dating this person. I was the first person that took him to a protest. He's a 34-year-old uh, man from the West Side. And I'm like, how do you live all these years without ever doing anything about the murders of Black people, about the poverty in the city? Anyway, long story short, now he's like a super hard... I don't talk to him anymore. I blocked him too. But before Damn. I did that... <laughs> but before I did that... Um, he probably he, watching he this. Too. Well, hi. Anyway, going through the protests um, and actually really starting to activate, right? And not because of me. I think it was something in that person already that just hadn't been um, activated, right? So really recognizing even within a couple months how somebody can go from ignoring everything that's happening outside of their door to being engaged and wanting to change it. So I think that the time for evolution and and even in the most ratchet of circumstances is very, very ripe. So come I think- through Bumble organizing. Come through organizing. Come through Let me download Tinder. The cause. You're, 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 not, you're not on the apps for dates. You're on the apps for one-on-ones. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could do both. <laughs> I'm trying to raise their consciousness and something else. I think no. raise the consciousness and the D. <laughs> something got raised. Something got to um, come up. But you know, I'm, we were talking about game bangers and little. Bit, so for those that you know that are tuning in, right? We all know that when the George Floyd protest bo- broke out and like Lori Lightfoot lifted the bridges and kind of cut off like uh, black rage and um, you know anger against police brutality from being able to access sites of power. We saw that spill out into neighborhoods and, uh, you know, gangbangers uh, militarized, lined up like a militia to mm-hmm. handle looters and became a kind of a blanket excuse for, um, you know, for anti-Black racism, I would say, because anyone that was Black was all of a sudden attacked. But it made me, one of the things that did freak me out about that, I was like, yo, like, we got activists that have been working for years that can't mobilize a whole fucking neighborhood the way right. these gangbangers were able to exactly. do. I was like, exactly. <laughs> You know, and it was it was one like frightening, but also really telling, right? About the way, you know, we could like a, about like what is needed, and also what people gravitate to, right? Like the way that fear was, people were able to like the, get, the it was part of what was predic- what was so uh, able to be mobilized was was that fear of like oh they're coming, right? Um, but and I'm just pointing that out because I do think though on on this call a lot of us have done some really amazing shits. So I want to throw out a quick question: um, What is uh, one moment? that you saw the fruits of your activist labor that, you know, an action that you were a part of or something that you helped organize or whatever that you don't feel like you're ever, ever going to forget. Like when you are like, Oh, then the light flashes between your, like the light, your life flashes between before your eyes, whatever the saying is, it's going to be like, it'll be like that. 
you, I will not make out with you, audience. I know you want it. <laughs> what a tease. What a tease you were. <laughs> so, um, let's try to get it up. <laughs> <laughs> Only consciousness raising on this program. Is really I think for, for me, I think uh, when we did the Indigenous Black Solidarity Rally, and when I seen all those people start beating up the cops, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen, you know, like. <laughs> Uh, and it was like the greatest thing. I've never, I didn't think Chicago had it in them. You know, I thought we were all about peace all the time. And then all of a sudden, like, people just started throwing LaCroix at the cops and beating the shit out of them. And it was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah. I, with P- I with PCP this. pipes. Yeah. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who else? Okay. So, oh, go, Laura. No, go ahead. So, this is a. Uh, this one, um, this one, first of all, I'm not an activist. I don't have activist fruits of labor. I have organizer yeah. fruits of labor. Oh, yeah. um, but uh, during the 50 school closings, uh, we went to a meeting and um, she was like devastated about, uh, she was like, they just have these people here to ignore us. They're not listening. They're not caring. And I was like, yeah, what you want to do about it? And she was like, well, we got to make them pay attention. How are we going to do that? She was like, we need a lot of people. And so she was like, I think what I have to do is get all these people's information that care. I'm going to get their phone numbers. And I was like, then what? She was like, I guess I got to invite them to a meeting. And then she was like, that's what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) You brought me on here to expose me. (laughs) I thought we were having it. I know we miss you. I miss y'all. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to y'all. She's uh, mad because she can't drink on the hood, was uh, uh, Almost. How old are you? You got a long way to go. If you were in Mexico, you could you're in Mexico, it's now. still okay. Yeah. I was a cute. She could drive at 10. Um so I think it's kind of hard, right, when you've been doing the work for a long time to have like a moment. But I think for me, I would have to say two major moments. One was when, um, you know, the parents from the disappeared students uh, from Ayutzinapa came to Chicago to share their stories, right? And it was when I understood, right, the 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 level of trauma that disappearances cause in the lives of people. And then it's, my whole world started to open up to really be able to make connections between the drug dealing in Chicago and the disappearance of students in Ayotzinapa, right? We found out that one of the reasons they were disappeared was because one of the buses that was coming from Guerrero to here was carrying heroin for basically the gangs in the streets, right? So to know that that connection was so deep and intense and deadly, it it really altered my life completely because I realized that we're not disconnected. And even though sometimes we don't see the consequences of, um, you know, these, these, these issues, they are killing people and disappearing people and causing so much pain. Um, But that's one. And the other one that I'll say is during the pandemic, I think what was really um, life changing for me was to finally see people that I've been talking to for a long time and denying that there's anti-Blackness in our community. Um, finally being willing to come out and confront it, all of us and talk about it, right? And not make it into 
and to have the grace to allow for people to grow into understanding that these um, that the racism that pervades our community really comes from colonization and our own self-hatred and the way that we've been taught to hate each other, right? So, and not to say that it's been solved or that we don't have it anymore, but I definitely think it forced us it's to- It's over! From <laughs> those spaces that we thought were like, oh yeah, we worked through that. No, we didn't, right? Um, and the other piece that I'll say is also, you know, just the solidarity piece, right? Like this is the most um, brown folks that I've seen come out in support of black lives. And I think I, I just hope it doesn't stop with this. And I hope that it really comes home with us and that we start to teach our families about it. So, yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing I was thinking about, um, I'm just happy about like the entire mainstream streaming of like defund the police because i remember when that shit was like super taboo to say and not so cool like i'm thinking about like four years ago like three yep, or four years ago them. when tell we was like at the motherfucking um fop bank or whatever and we like did an action and i felt like damn like we the only ones talking about this shit in chicago like we the only black people talking about defunding the police and it felt like very like isolating and even like when you try to talk to some folks they wasn't they wasn't getting it making that connection for talk criticizing police like i couldn't get hired in youth programming for like talking about Rahm Emanuel and police huh? things like that right you know like, the, the industrial complex is a concept it, right. it, was, it was you know it was an idea that isn't real it's yeah. a philosophy but, or like a prediction i was like shut the fuck <laughs> <laughs> but i'm also like and i'm also happy at like the amplification around like uh brianna taylor now now memification they made it into a damn meme but it's like there was a once upon a time where like no black woman would have had that amount of like fervor and publicity and like just her name on all of America's like right now, like just be on the tape. Like that was not, I didn't think that that would happen for, for a long time. And it's like, I directly like tie that shit to like, you know, the say her name campaigns that so many organizations wave. And just the amplification of like the few and, and, and the black women who constantly like, push those narratives and, and fought against that like patriarchal framing of like and of, of, of violence. So yeah, like I, I'm just happy that narratives are being new narratives are being amplified, new ideas are being mainstreamed. And there are ones that we were trying that we were damn near like isolated for. Yes. I'm with Charles. Like my family is having so many more conversations on like what D my family is a hood family. So the first thing is like, like they saw the 30th and they like, you was out there getting your ass whipped by the police. And I was like, no, no. And then Hyde Park happened, Battle of Hyde Park happened. They were like, you got your ass whooped. I didn't get my ass whooped, whooped. Like I, <laughs> I got, <laughs> I got in a little bit, like, you know, so they're not, uh, you know, there's no real like sympathy. They they believe police serve a function, you know, that internalized racism piece and that these conversations are being had. And I didn't I mean, I probably, probably sparked them. They like they're like, we saw you on the news. Now we're having this conversation. But it's not like I had to come in and be like, Let, let's talk about this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, we're not they're not going to do the commitment of like we don't call the police at all in this moment but now they are moving more towards like we still don't call them right now but we will defund them we're about that yeah i mean so, so many things that feel um like accomplishment or, or, or glorious but I, I think i can sum them up yeah definitely the 30th 
um, was really amazing. Um, to Charles's point, like, you know, my, my estimation five years ago, there were probably 150 people uh, actively using the language of abolition. And even within like our organizations, every organization wasn't even like, even if we believed it theoretically, are we taking that claim? Is that where we are? Um, and so, you know, on that day, it was my eyes, it was 10,000 people outside. It wasn't just radical blacks. It wasn't just the college kids. It wasn't just DSA progress. Like I saw yuppies. I saw, you know, I saw the hood. I saw regular people, you know, it was, I saw moderate. Doctors, lots folks. of doctors because yeah, of COVID yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. Out there with signs saying divest, defund, abolish. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like tens of the, the, the city was shut down. And then the, you know, the mayor and the police then escalated in that protest went to rebellion and went to uprising. Um, but the fact that there were enough people out there for it to be a functional rebellious action, and they were out there with the right politic, more or less, uh, was really amazing. Like, when I, it, it was hard. I, I couldn't understand it. Like, how did this happen? Um, <laughs> where, did, where did that jump happen? But it was because we, we've been pushing this. Um, a couple of other things of just, like, once we reach these high points, how other things come through, um, definitely what's happening with Douglas Park, um, and the Change the Name campaign and the grassroots campaign at, at, at BLA have a relationship. Shout out, Jennifer. Yeah, yeah, for the last you know, three to four years. Um, you know, the Let Us Breathe Collective kind of like our organizing model is really comes out of, of activating that, that space in Douglas Park, activating the tree that we named Rakia's tree that actions then came back from. So, so to not even at that time recognize that that park was named after a slaveholder and then for young people to then take up that legacy push around Rikia and then have this larger monumental renaming happen by middle schoolers um, is such a victory and so heartwarming. You know, I, I can cry about it. Um, certainly the, the Freedom Square action for folks who were able to see that or be that there last year to, to have three to 500 people in that space, to have that space reactivated. Um, and so many people, even if they didn't know or weren't there to understand that that legacy is a part of how we're talking about today uh, is really important. Uh, and then the, lastly, the, like, like hundreds of cops in riot gear protecting like a barbecue. Like, so yeah. even if you didn't know the progression, like you could see that, right? It was, it was felt. So to be able to revive something, uh, I've never experienced that before. It felt like a memory or a relic or a ghost. And like, you know, that spirit was alive uh, fully. Uh, and then lastly, just like movement and us. Uh, I think I could symbolize it through breathing room, like the fact that I'm here right now. Uh, but, you know, coming out of Ferguson, um, coming into like 2015, the idea that rebellion is a real thing and that it can happen here. Um, one of the goals is like, how do we be prepared for the, the inevitable, but also the, the thing you can never plan for? Um, and so seeing these mutual aid networks, but then seeing that folks have a place to store it, right? Or we don't have to ask some church or some school. Right. We can get in there on a Thursday. You know, people are coming here, having debriefs, having trainings. Um, and, and that was more than anything, like all the art and all the programs is really a trick for how do we build and prepare for rebellion and push that towards revolutionary action. And so to have a space that folks can 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 have reprieve um, really meant a lot and really felt like a big accomplishment. Yeah. I would just I would just add to that um, two things. One, the um, echoing, Dame, what you said about the Freedom Square action. So as one of the people who was involved in 2016, I can't even really describe the feeling of walking up to that lot a couple of weeks ago and the like, you use the word ghost. It was like, yeah, it was the specter hanging over it uh, of like, I never thought you, you pass these spots in the city. Right. And, and I think, you know, 
as someone who didn't grow up here, but I think even for people who did, when you pass a corner that, or, or a street where you've protested or you've had an action, like you never look at that corner the same. And I think it, it was that times 10,000 in Freedom Square. It was like, I can't believe this space just looks the way it did before we showed up. Uh, and then to see it like refill and, and, and also like building momentum toward this fight, it was really moving. And then just on the, on the radio end for what we do, we did this suite of episodes on abolition where we talked to kind of some of the folks who, so it was Miriam Cobb came back on the show and then Andrea Ritchie and Robin Kelly. And what I saw us doing was part of this larger trajectory of the people who should have been the people asked every single time for the last 20 years, finally got asked <laughs> by way more people um, and got listened to way more than they were. So we, you know, yes, CNN had their bullshit person in a suit on, but also the people who have really been like trying to wrestle with the contradictions of, of what does it mean to move toward liberation, got their opportunity to be heard and to speak their piece and to have a hand in, in, in shaping the public discourse. And so um, I was happy that we did that, but I was also more happy that just people were actually like the right people were heard for once. Yeah, I mean, I keep on thinking about like, because I have a few like of those moments, right? And some of it was like seeing some of that work, right? Like seeing like what Ergo was doing, seeing that like all of a sudden, like when the decolonize, um, defund uh, march happened and being like, you know, the Hoodwazi has been staging those conversations around decolonization really intentionally the past couple of years. And all of a sudden being like, yo, like this shit is like happening. And like, there's like thousands <laughs> of people that are like, yes, like, you know what I mean? Like decolonize, land back. And I was like, <laughs> take the land back. Yes. It's it was like, so first bad. of all, why didn't you come to the show? Yeah. First and foremost, we could have sold <laughs> a couple more houses, but that's not. Right. That's really <laughs> and I think like it was, you know, I think uh, two of them, like two of the moments that keep, are sticking out is like, one of them was when Shy Resist organized a March in Pilsen and they asked me to come speak to it, to do a, you know, a, a speak on anti-blackness and amongst Latinidad, like a, you know, and so, and it's like a brown fan labor putting this like amazing march together. It felt spiritual walking to that. And it was also like, you know, if you've, if you are someone that has been doing black and brown intersection, black and brown intersectional work and solidarity work for like longer than like, it's become a trendy thing and intersectionality became something that was put on a meme. You're like, holy shit, I can't believe this is actually happening. But also like personally, as like someone that grew up around organizing whose best friend in high school's dad is an assassinated community activist. I was very much like, yo, I don't like protest being in some of those spaces can also be like fraught and risky. And so like, I'm going to like be an artist, like an activist disguised as an artist as long as I can and like avoid some of those things. And sure, I, there was a few where I like did some of that space, right? Cause it's important for me to stay alive, I think. And then like making the choice to be like, no, like this is some crazy shit and I'm gonna show up for my community in this way. And then like seeing this like sea of just like brown and black people outside of Casa de Pueblo, I want to cry right now, like outside of Casa de Pueblo and like on 18th and Blue Island. And they were just like hungry to do something and ready. I was like, yo, this is fucking awesome. And then the other thing is when Lori Lightfoot got elected, I was like, I can't stand this mother. Beep, beep, beep. I was like, she is a liar. <laughs> you can't curse now after <laughs> you're doing the show? What? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I was like, Lori Lightfoot. And then like, when we had to bring in the light event and being like, this is going to be the hashtag for it. And like, 
was right. like, we'll tag right. everything we live put. And no one said anything. Like, I'll always, like, when we're on our staff meeting or talking to Charles, I'll, like, throw it out there. And people will be like, well, maybe not. Or Lada will just usually, like, <laughs> say something that's, like, aggressively passive or just aggressive, aggressive. Stop. Agree with me? As, as a binational <laughs> activist, I think we need to read <laughs> Stop hating. I just tell <laughs> you the truth and you don't want to hear it. <laughs> true. <laughs> that is true sometimes. But to see that all of a sudden, like, we got that shit trending and that, like, all of yeah. a sudden people were, like, the, the radiant effect of people talking shit about Lightfoot was, like, joy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Speaking of, like, the personals political... I want to take so there's back. two. Yeah. So I want to say my two because mine was was definitely um, the Pilsen rally. I was I was part of mm-hmm. supporting that. Um, and there was there was two. There was one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. And um, as beautiful as, as Wednesday's was, um, Tuesday was was kind of the precursor to to the Wednesday rally that you attended, Ricky, that we we yeah. called you to have a speaker because we didn't have enough speakers. So it was so like fast. I mean, you saw the, the stuff that was happening so fast that we, we didn't have enough speakers the first day. Um, I was put on the spot to like speak. And that was the first time I really, um, I'm not a speaker, a lecturer or none of that, you know, I'm definitely pop ed kind of style. Come through um, cherry popping. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they passed the, the megaphone. They're like, you're speaking. And I was like, I'm not talking. I did all this other work. Like I don't, um, but sharing a lot of like the history stuff and, and being able to talk to people was a beautiful thing. But I think for me, it was, it was the, the reason it was so beautiful, Ricky, was the calling of people to occupy a neighborhood that I, I got gentrified and I live on the West side and I've been here for three years and I love where I live. And the idea that there was anti-blackness in, in a place that I grew up that I love and cherish still in, in a lot of ways and have a lot of people that I care about still live there. Um, was not just like annoying and, and, and heart wrenching and, you know, pissed me off, but um, everybody else was scared. All the black and brown people were scared to be in Pilsen in a little village during this time. Like, don't go out because they're, they're shooting. Don't go out if you're black because they're harassing you. So um, I was told that uh, we should probably cancel the march. And me and the, and the other young folk were like, I don't know, we should do it. We need to do something, right? right. So we went to scope out the scene and what boiled my fucking blood, I kid you not, that made us like, we're doing this shit. I saw white people in Pilsen very much enjoy mm. their life. Yep. Eating ice cream, walking their dogs, having a good old motherfucking time. And everyone else was inside. So this in itself was like, oh, hell no. The was alternate like, you universe <laughs> was like, hell no. <laughs> On, on the, one of the hottest days in the summer, too, yep. it was like 89 that yep. day. And I was all like, yep. so we're all out here scared. Apparently, y'all fucking immune to corona, immune to gangs, immune to a racial uprising, immune to police. Like, they were roaming so freely and enjoying a regular-ass summer day in a way that yeah. pissed me off so much. I just we, love, we, like, feels, I just love your, like, radical National Geographic perspective on white people. <laughs> You're like, they were roaming <laughs> so freely in the wild. <laughs> Because if you think about how 18th Street is, it's usually like bustling with right. people. And even now with masks on people, it's bustling, right? But that day, it was nothing but the vigilantes and white people roaming freely because the vigilantes were not harassing them. The yes. police were not harassing right. them, right? Yeah. So we were like, 
we have to come out there there are i know there are more people in my neighborhood in this area that really do give a fuck about what's going on and they do not represent us um mm-hmm. so i called the people we called them out we were like out of love take the streets take your neighborhood back and they did and i think for me like that was that beautiful right that everybody was like that was such a beautiful march um it we saw people pouring out of their houses it was it was a really joyous moment but it came out of like anger <laughs> that um so many other white folks were were not experiencing what black and brown people were experiencing at the time in chicago that yeah. fucking pissed me off that yeah. we i visually saw how alternate alternative our our, our lives are Um, So one last thing, you reminded me, Hilda, of that march that we had on 26th Street, where we came from Keeler and met at the gas station. That was part of our trilogy. That was beautiful. Like, that was all people (laughs) from the hood, like straight up the hood, not like people that you would see downtown Mm -hmm. at all. Just really walking for our neighborhood, right? It is kind of when you show up at an action and you just can't see the people you know right away. Yeah, you're like, this is... <laughs> but you know what was like, you walk like when you walk cafeteria. right into the club, like, yeah. and you don't know by don't know know anybody. You'd be like, like, let me go to the bathroom real quick. <laughs> but you know what's interesting? You know, like it, it really like made segregation become even more real because you know Ogden is the separating line between right. Little Village and North Lawndale, right? And we hardly ever, you know, I felt that realization like we hardly ever go past Ogden unless you're going to take a bus, unless you know, unless you have to. But folks come over here all the time, right? So I realized like we have neighbors that have been living with us for decades that we have never met because we're literally being separated, right? By these segregated lines as well as race, right? So it was like this opening for finally being able to have a conversation with our neighbors. And on both sides, right? I felt mm-hmm. horrified that people didn't feel safe in Little Village, right? That I yeah. had to send my son and my daughter to live in Indiana with their dad because I was like, you can't go out because I don't know how they're going to treat you, right? And to recognize that about my own people, it, it was heartbreaking. So yes, it's beautiful that something came out of it, but at the same time, having to face that horrifying truth about what's been happening within our own families and even sometimes within ourselves, it's one of the saddest and scariest things. But also, again, like you said, right? Something beautiful and amazing came out of this horrifying experience. Yeah. And I think that's what organizing does, right? You really try to get people to come together at times when things feel hopeless, when you feel like the powers that be are going to really drag you by your neck and choke you. And then uh, you're like, no. Laura, I'm going to let you finish, but I just want everyone to know. I'm done. We've gone through one question. This is how I know I'm on a bunch of activists and organizers. We've gone through one question. Because yeah. <laughs> it's like we're so used to. <laughs> All the fucking time. So before we move on to the next one, I want to play a really quick game. We're going to shorten it. It was a different game. We're going to say fuck it, but really quick. We're going to do quarantine confessions. In one sentence, uh, you have to say one thing you did uh, during quarantine that you want to confess about that maybe you shouldn't have done. Um, uh, go. Laura, you go. Hit it up. Have sex. No, yeah, let me think. Let Charles go first. Charles got to have sex. Charles had sex. If you did it, you, if you also did it, you got to take a drink. Oh, I'm out of drink, but <laughs> wait, you had sex, Charles? Can we can we go said? puff her some alcohol? <laughs> wait, wait, Charles, did you say you had sex? Early in the quarantine. <laughs> like, you know, it was like plans. the world's ended. The world's ended. Be and honest, be honest. 
Yeah. I waited till the end. It was like we were we were out the shelter. You know what I'm saying? Like I took it seriously. I'm not out here like Charles. I took it seriously. <laughs> I looked when up when, like, you, when when you knew that some people did quarantine for a little bit. <laughs> I, I looked up like glory holes and thought about putting stuff in shower. Like I I took it serious. You and you had time to research beforehand too. I, I researched. I took my time. And yeah. Daniel, I just want to say you are just serving a non-colonistic banana republic aesthetic. That's a, but not like, like, not like, like a banana republic, you know. No, like, yeah, I know, yeah, you, yeah. You didn't banana republic like outlet. Like I was, <laughs> in, in missing a coup. Yeah, it's, yeah. more accessible. Like Geneva. That's what it I guess I already said it. For me, it was joining Bumble, and I said I would never do online dating. And then when all my options were closed, I was like, oh hell no, I can't. You know, a lonely heart like mine can't go that long without meeting people. So. That would be my thing that I did. Mm. I'm embarrassed, but not really. Janie or Hills? I I can't even think of something. Uh, <laughs> give me a second. Because um, I was, I actually got Corona, so. <laughs> that was something you weren't supposed to do. <laughs> so my ass was definitely quarantined. <laughs> How are you, Damon? I, I started getting, uh, after the uprising happened and I was like outside, I started getting way too comfortable in chicken spots and barbecue spots. Like that, that was my joint of like, oh shit, it's normal again. So the Sharks on 51st and like Indiana, it is... It is a cesspool in there. <laughs> Nobody wears a mask. Motherfuckers just be chilling. Um, yeah, I, I just I just have subjected myself to that and stopped getting delivery after. We almost went to Lauren's Fish the other night. Remember, Ricky? Oh, God. Yeah, I missed my turkey tips at Uncle John's over on, on, on Cottage. I've been, I've been dreaming of those turkey tips for the last like, the three to four weeks. Oh, my God. I, I'll risk it and bring you some. I traveled I I to Wisconsin. Oh, shit. Go ahead, Jenny. TikTok ahead, was my, my Corona sin. <laughs> TikTok. <laughs> TikTok. But I, I like low key became like a like a low key TikTok clout god. And <laughs> I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I you, you, you ride the wave. You ride the wave. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, I'm I'm also just realizing like there's not enough like trivial attention and, and shit in like the 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 movement community, you know? Um <laughs> Like, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I think also like Fernando was like, I'm loving the pink hair hair fantasy, but I think that's like, yes, queen. Yeah. You know, yeah, like yeah, there's yeah. not enough like, you know, and TikTok was that like, mm-hmm, I just, mm-hmm, I just want to rub up. What, so what you did with Secret did, But it was like, you know, I don't know. I was trying to like connect with these young people. <laughs> who were uh no no bullshit i know it sounds like i'm making excuses you weren't on for likes you were on for one on one they they were like tiktok is deeply racist and these like unorganized folk were like nah this is where how we're gonna organize it and my 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 nephew was like it's a tiktok revolution get in here Janie keeps on trying to talk, but we're just I did, I did. Re- rehearsing our historical, her historical trauma. Blood <laughs> 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 trauma, yeah. <laughs> no. Nah, I, I went to Wisconsin to see my family. 
when Wisconsin is fucked up, they don't believe in the gas. <laughs> they don't believe in nothing. So I was like at the gas station, like we're gonna get COVID. <laughs> trying to, and we didn't even like touch our family. We just like waved from outside. And, but oh. They don't believe in that shit up there. <laughs> Similarly, yeah. I went to Wisconsin, but for biscuits, which is <laughs> nowhere near as good a reason. Well, as for family. That's a great reason. You said you went to Wisconsin for biscuits. So, okay, so so we were in Wisconsin already. We had like a little lake house situation for a couple oh, of days. Oh, wow. She's, and we were getting ready to drive back to Chicago. And we were like, we're hungry. We don't want to stop. We don't trust any of the places around here. And my wonderful partner, Rosie, uh, was like, you remember that spot in Madison that had the biscuits? So instead of going south, we just took a U-turn and went north and got biscuits. Mm. The biscuits were worth it, though. No question. No, I thought biscuits was like cold for like white girl ass. I was like, not quite cake. We got them biscuits. Biscuits. Oh, you got them biscuits. Okay. Ubi <laughs> <laughs> snacks. Is that, you know, I thought That's it was right. Good. I don't know which are you. I didn't know that was the keyword. A couple weeks ago, we like Hilda was saying, I, me, Sean, and Hilda took some mushrooms. I, and I've been like so hardcore about quarantine most of like this time like but like after the uprising i think a lot of us were like no we need to be out right like we like we're gonna make some of these compromises but like i took some mushrooms i was like up in navy pier dancing my ass off i'm like we'll go we just can't take off our mask i was like i see thickens. it was so you know, that day my- our masks were like wet they were like <laughs> stuck to our face like, hey, i never get the invite to the good shit y'all should have been no, there here's what's so fucked up about that so like um it was spontaneous we, got, we didn't know we got, yeah we got the mushrooms as a as a i mean uh, uh, i got the mushrooms as a gift I like took out three of them and was like a stem and a cap. And I was like, I'm like, here, Hilda, we'll eat these after I go bathroom. And I came back out and I didn't see any of them. And Sean's like, are we going to eat these before we go? And I was like, yeah, I'm like, if we're going to take these, we've got to eat them. And I was like, uh, Hilda, let's eat the mushroom. Cause she goes, I ate mine. I was like, where are the other two? She goes, oh, I ate all three. And I was Whoever like, is gifting shrooms? Right. He can't say these are, these are yours. And I was all like, thanks. That's what I heard. And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that's what you heard, girl. <laughs> I need a whole bag. If you gave me a whole bag, I need a whole bag. We're not doing mushrooms right now, though. That's what I'm asking. Can you imagine that? Whoever is gifted. I do want to. um, Is it cool if we stay like 15 or 20 minutes over? Is everyone down with that? Cool. Yes, sir. Send me a bottle of liquor and I'll be really happy. I told everyone, just let me know. 859, we'll do somewhere like that. So by 1520, I'm at 30. Um, so anyway, one of the things I was thinking about was... Can the shrooms gifter pay attention? Like, this shrooms gifter out in the universe? <laughs> you got to bless the rest of us. You know? So I think one of the things I'm thinking about is we just talked a lot about, like, um, you know, some of the moments that we're going to remember and things like that. But I think one of the things that uh, I'm kind of interested in hearing is like, what are, in terms of like resistance and cultivating resistance and realizing resistance, what are some of the lessons um, you've seen, learned, or that you felt you've learned? Um, And then what are some of the ones that you think are being missed or that, you know, or that you miss? Well, everyone got real silent because this is interesting. Mm, there he is. They got a thing. Like, we ain't miss nothing. We ain't miss shit. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to say about all organizing. We ain't miss shit. (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I've thought about this, so I'll kind of answer. Um, so one of the things that like I, I had felt before, but was really crystallized in these last six weeks, um, is that 
the moments that are the greatest political opportunity um, are also the most traumatic for our people. Uh, and so that tension and contradiction of where there's so much to do, everything feels so possible, uh, the people that are making possible um, oftentimes are, are, are being, you know, torn. and like not just in the sense of like, oh, we're activists and we have a bunch of like spreadsheets to fill out. Fill out. Uh, but I think when you see an uprising, uh, once you see, you know, police in real time being assholes, all of the pandemic shit, right? Like the pandemic is a really actually great opportunity for radical consciousness, uh, but it is really traumatic. Uh, and so I think that's something we go into with naivete uh, and need to like be more prepared for opportunity time means trauma holding time. And that needs yeah. to be like the muscles and me mechanisms that we're coming to the space with. Uh, and then kind of related to that, um, I think the thing that, that we're missing or, or hope comes out of this, um, and, and me, me and Dan are getting this bag deep, uh, is just like a, a, a deeper push and check of individualism. Um, and I think a lot of radical folks in the, in, in the Western hemisphere uh, have unchecked internalized individualism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think the individual is a fallacy and that fallacy serves white supremacy and colonialism. Uh, and we are beings connected and in a collective body. Um, and I think we can think about that politically. I think it's easy to talk about that in terms of like public education, uh, but really in terms of like what sacrifices we have to make, the ways that we have to be very intentional about how we talk to each other because we are one. Uh, that is the thing that needs to be said at like, I think a deeper level. Yeah. I'm yeah. all like collectivity, as long as people think I'm one of the cuter people in the collective. You can be especially unique. First of you. all, all single people need to fall. I mean, all the, the couples need to fall back in the fall back. The, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Going, like, to your, going to your caves, going to your bed. Some bags. of us yeah, have go. to go through some dry shelter in place. You yes. you fall back. You can be cute when I'm more getting when you're back out here. <laughs> so uh yeah, I think the 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 that was missed uh what was missed uh for a long time is like genuine deep relationship building yes um yes. and a kind of like real vulnerable um honesty right and a commitment to the people doing this work with you not not just the work itself um that i think is here you know i think also I, I hate the fucking activist language, like in yeah. general, like it's yeah. all trash and not, not very little Code, coded it, and like yeah. the, the trauma bond thing, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I mean, if it's only a trauma bond, not wonderful, you know, but like yeah. hood niggas, that's all we got, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to a certain extent. So it's all, and uh, yeah, that battle of Hyde Park and that, that trauma bond that came from that, like I miss those folks in my body, you know, when I wasn't mm -hmm. really around and like touch from them became, you know, a great deal more important that, that really like signaled to me. Um, Damon and I've had a lot of conversations about like how um, touch communicates things that may be hard to say. Right. And like the importance of like, this is me. Damon didn't say this part, but the importance of gang handshakes and <laughs> that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And mm -hmm. so like, mm -hmm. you know, these like uh, ways of touch that communicate in an absence of a great deal of touch right. um, really hit like as things we've missed, but things are like 
that I'm deeply dedicated to. And, 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 you know, he's talking about that, like, miss me with that individualism, miss me with that bullshit. I will definitely take you to the kitchen table. We can sit down and talk about it, but I'm not here for it in any way, shape or form. The me, 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 me centering victim shit is not, it's not what my ancestors are calling me to right now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this was something I was talking to someone recently about too, very similar to what y'all are saying in terms of individualism, but recognizing that the mutual aid stuff is not a one-time thing, that it's something that for many of us as organizers, right. As, as at least for me, I've, I've thought so much about the work long tip, like longer strokes because of the way time, right. As a history person thinking about the work longer term that so much of what, um, you know, I've I've been working on fostering was the the deeper roots, right? The relation that relationship building that you're talking about, Amika, the um, who we're responsible for in community and in struggle, um, what it means to then resolve those con- those internal conflicts and and interpersonal conflicts, um, and really witnessing uh, some people step up during during Corona with some of this practice, institutionalizing some of these practices, and then now that we're slowly going back to work or school. Um, we're not seeing the food as much. We're not seeing the free internet as much. We're not seeing, right? Like we're not seeing people check in on each other and say, I'm just calling to say hi, because I know you live alone. And you know, that shit fucking sucks. And I I live with one other person and I'm tired of this fool. And I can't imagine like you being alone for this much time, you know, And, and literally just checking in on certain people that slowly that starts to, to, um, to die out I'm starting to see that and I'm like oh so y'all don't get it that we're trying to move in this direction not necessarily have it as as a temporary response Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. when we're in trauma Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that brings me to one of the realizations I had right I always knew this right because I don't like having full-time jobs I think that it's like a trick right um and really having to be sheltered in place and recognizing just how ridiculous it is to have this expectation to have the 40-hour work week, right? And what happens when people don't have to do that? Like the real community comes out, right? Like the real opportunity for creating that which you need comes out, right? So having to be at home, I was able to grow my own food. Um, we created a small but very effective mutual aid um, project in Little Village that was able to support people during even the hardest of times, right? By bringing money together, by bringing our resources together, right? And I think the biggest lesson is that we are our biggest resource. We are the things that we need or the people that we need to get past whatever capitalist imagination is at work at this point, right? That's Damon shit right there. Look, he can accept, he want to do a call response, <laughs> some shit. <laughs> like this. Cute, cute self, right? He's like, oh, got you. He's actually been calling responding on mute the whole But also, you know, I think going back to Amika's point, right? Like just the basic need of human connection and human touch, right? Like, I mean, I've always loved sex, right? I am very sex positive, and I think it's an essential part of being human that is demonized, especially if you're a femme-identified person or a um, woman-identified person. And I think being able to recognize, no, this isn't just me being a hornball. Like, we as human beings are created to, to exist in this place where we receive this affection and attention and time and um, it, it was just that recognition that a lot of the things that I had already known in my body became real, right? And, and to have to see that outside of you and see all these other people coming together to experience it. And I think that's the other piece that I will add. Like 
you know, if you've been organizer, an organizer for a while, you know that no matter how big an issue is, it really only affects a certain amount of people. And it's only a certain amount of people that actually get behind organizing against a specific power structure or system if you get that far, right? Sometimes it's just a person or a company um, or an action that you're trying to really get past or survive or make a change. But I think COVID affected us all collectively in a way where we all had to face our very fundamental humanity. And I think out of that was what really allowed us to see each other, hopefully, as more human despite our differences, right? And I think in some other ways, it also brought up all the people that are, and I hate to say this because I don't think anyone's disposable, but I think there's some people that need to be kicked off the boat. And what I mean by that is like, there are people that are, I don't, I want to say they're beyond saving, but that they're so ingrained in their old school mentality and their capitalist mentality that there is no way for us to get to them, right? So I think as much as I always want to have hope that people can change, that people can get better. I think for me, one of the, and I don't want to say it's a missed opportunity. Maybe this is something we can figure out together is how do you make room for those that are actually toxic almost like cancers in our society, right? And we have to live with them because what do we do? Um, So I think being a good-hearted person, you want to make room for everyone. But I think at some point in time, you have to decide, right? Like we have to protect our people. And as nonviolent and, um, you know, lover as I am, I think it came to a point where I realized, whoa, like everything cannot be nonviolent. Like there are times when we absolutely have to stand for our survival and we cannot let them kill us, Right. And that's kind of what happened with Hilco, right? It's not that we wanted to go out there and organize. It's that if we don't do this, they're going to continue to poison us. They already showed us they don't care about us so many times. So we have no choice. So, yeah, I think that those are um, some things that I think were really on my mind. Go ahead, Daniel. Lada, she, she, gave, she, did a, she did us a service. Right? She did a dissertation. She just she gave it a... Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Y'all, my laptop died though. Are they are they saying that I'm cute in the <laughs> <laughs> they're not they're not y'all better be. Y'all watching, you better get it in now. Go ahead, Daniel. But but Lado, what you were just saying about the um what happens the moment that people don't have to be uh self-dehumanizing to be cogs in in production processes, right? So the moment that you can sit at home, whether that's by choice or because you lost your job and you're one of the 40 million people who lost their job in the last four months. Um, what I, One of the other things that I think that that created, or I hope, and, and it's kind of my like, and other people's too, like thesis for why so many people who hadn't been active before were, was like all of the language and the only ways that we could make sense of what we were supposed to do in response to this pandemic was by understanding collectivity, right? It was, there's a choice that you as a person have to make, not just to protect yourself, but to, but to protect people you don't know who live around you. And there are responsibilities and consequences of your actions on the people around you, whether you like that or not. And there's no way around that. Right. And I think, or I hope uh, that what that helped, even if it's just fleeting, was that then when people were in that mindset, they were able to see the connections uh, between themselves uh, and, and those being, you know, violently oppressed, if, if that wasn't on their body in that moment uh, that they weren't able to see before or were unwilling to see before, was that like this pandemic taught us collectivity uh, or and, and reminded us of that. And then people were more willing to act on it. 
Um, they need like you bitches needed fucking COVID. We learned that in smallpox. We learned that in tuberculosis. We learned that in the flu. Take some minutes. Take some minutes. Take brought forward yet uh or we have but i haven't seen be part of the conversation is we got all these people talking about defunding police and if you're mad about the police getting all the money wait till you hear about the military Mm -hmm. um and i haven't seen that link be like as closely and as explicitly made that like these logics are what are terrorizing our world and polluting our world and murdering people around the world uh by the same people who are now willing to talk about like if you can have that logic in your city, you can have that logic for our planet because yeah. collectivity extends to all 8 billion people. I also want to add, Daniel, that it wasn't just also like the collective mindset that, that got some people to empathize. I also want to recognize that white folks went out there kumbayaing, especially in Louisville. I have a friend that called me about it and they got their eyes beat. By the police. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, the cops started doing the white people what they've been doing everybody yeah, they, else. They beat the shit out of these white, yeah. like, people singing and peace and, you know. Well, that was what was so crazy They here. got pissed. You know what happened? What happens to any human that's oppressed? They got fucking pissed. And yeah. they became activated. And they realized I, that yeah. the peace doesn't work because it's not about peace. It's about a system that wants to oppress you. Well, you remember all the times that we'd be like, man, I can't believe they're treating us like this protesting downtown whenever there's a march on 47th or out west or input like all of a sudden they were just like no 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 we're just gonna do the same thing in front of the fucking statue and in front of the chase building uh, that that we do everywhere else i'm more upset right now what i learned is me and daniel are not as good friends as i thought because if he says he hasn't seen someone making the explicit links between military and things like that it means he hasn't been on my facebook in a couple of weeks (laughs) And I, that's the lesson I've learned. Individualistic yeah. person, you? Yeah, I mean, on Facebook. He hasn't been on mm-hmm. Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ricky, I think, I think we all I think know. A lesson, Go ahead. I think a lesson um, I learned is that, like, when, when, I guess when emergency strikes or something like a pandemic, people retreat to, like, what, what they feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, when it comes to organizations that's when it comes to like people that's even when it comes to like power dynamics that exist within like communities and organizations as well and so i think that often often like furthers the individualism that we often like you know speak about the fact that people are comfortable with like the individual um and i and i think one thing that is missed um is i think that oftentimes radicals aren't honest about electoral politics and like how in a pandemic, how important the offices are actually are to the people. And like, even if we're abolitionists and demanding non-reformist reforms, we still need politicians to pass non-reformist reforms. Um, or who don't, po- or who don't pass like- it, but show up and get you out of jail. Shout out Rosanna, <laughs> shout out Byron. <laughs> so yeah I, I i just think i think it, it's like kind of like an unspoken like oh we don't fuck with you know like the electoral politics we radicals we anarchists we we communists but at the same time it's like this is a pandemic like this is like a you want to just say my fucking emergency say it, okay 
What? What'd you say? This is so good because you can't talk I'm over just people saying, right now. Like, it works so well. I'm going to mute you, Ricardo. Motherfuckers want stimulus checks. Motherfuckers want stimulus checks. People need health care. People need eviction moratoriums, all types of shit that we don't, like, as activists and organizers, we don't have the infrastructure for or haven't built um, prior to the pandemic. And so, like, there will be a time where, like, the mutual aid gets exhausted and people get burned out. And so, like, how do we leverage, you know, these moments too often, like, be honest about, like, the power that exists in, like, electoral politics and its limits and also, like, continue with, like, our radical missions and ask and demands? I think, though, Charles, like, one of the things I would, like, I would, uh, like, throw out there is that so much of why are we, of how we got to fuck electoral politics, fuck all that, was the fact that, like, you know, was the, you know, was the fact that it got pushed there. You know what I mean? Like we got pushed, right. we got pushed to that point. And that was never, it never seemed salvageable, right? I mean, we're from Chicago where Barack Obama got elected. You know what I mean? That was supposed to be the electoral politician that was, you know, for black people, for people of color, for, you know, and he still ran on an anti-immigrant platform. He still sold us, uh, sold us a, a, a lemon in Rahm Emanuel as a, as a, you know, as a mayor. And I think what we've, you know, and it took white people getting excited about Bernie to even learn that you could have progressive politics, right? Like, and so like, I right, think, right, right, right. you know, so I'm like, I also like, one of the things I'm, one of the things that we've seen that turn did though, was allow us to be able to like, imagine a Byron, a Rosanna, a Jeanette Taylor, you know what I mean? Like some of the people that have been on, on city council and kind of start thinking, <laughs> thinking through that, you know? Um, and I still yeah. am interested in like, how do we like, I, for me, like I'm a I'm a scrappy bitch, so I'm like I take what I need. My I lived I, I modeled my life after being Catwoman from Batman. She like always knows her disguise. She gets in, she gets out. She takes what she needs. She does not get caught. Like you know what I mean? Like so like for me, it's like even if, even if we're gonna push for that type of she wears leather. She wears leather. She has a whip and she likes them. Batman caught her a lot though. <laughs> yeah. I, I I just you know. You know, something I've been thinking about, like, that, that, that like, kind of scares <laughs> me is that, like, you know, if it wasn't, if it was up to Black people, like, the, like based on, like, how they vote, like, in um, in the last mayoral election, if it was up to Black people, it would be Willie Wilson, like, leading us through this pandemic. If it was up to, like, brown folks, it would be Suzanne Mendoza yep. leading us through this, like, pandemic. And I think we really have to, like, think about that. Like, and, 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 and I love... <laughs> to like, like I'm not invested in like electoral politics like at all. But I think like this pandemic has shown me like, yo, like this shit, it, it matters. There's there's power there, and there's ways that we can like at least um, win more shit than we are winning now. I guess. Um, but that was out yeah, of the I, choices I, offered, Charles. That was out of the choices yeah. offered, right? And so like, what choices? You know what I mean? Like. I might vote for Kanye just to keep it interesting, but that's not a reflection of like a beliefs oh, and values. Oh, now, that's like a choices. I, I, I think offered. it is. I think we can also like. No, that's just choices offered. That's not my values. That's not who I really want to be led. You know who I want in leadership. That's like this is what the options are, and yeah. so. All, all I'm going to say is, we got to get Willie Wilson elected somewhere, because this man, bro. This man has been running every election. 
Every, it's just vote for Willie Wilson. It's, it's not even four like positions. Every, every year, every year, every single year. For. And every, he needs some a clerk position, the DMV. I keep, I keep voting for him for my uh, for my food co-op board. Something, something. I'll probably get Willie Wilson from here on out. Go ahead, Richie. I think for for us, um, I think one of the things that we learned was like we're able to push the envelope a lot farther than we thought that we could in our community. We have a very conservative uh, Native community. So I think just even having a large amount of, you know, like anarchists, Black community people, Latino people, just having them in our spaces, in our garden was kind of a radical thing that we've never seen before. Um, like the coalition building that went on there. And like, we didn't, we didn't have those conversations in our community. Like last year, the year before we were talking a lot about anti-blackness because two of our members are black native people. So uh, people were already coming at us. Like, this is going to be the black Indian center next. So the fact that we were able to have those conversations in our spaces was pretty wild to me. And that, you know, like there was, violent tactics that were used to take down the Columbus statue and we are always chastised for our tactics like that wasn't really our choice not yet, your but, tactics because you yeah. you know you wouldn't do anything illegal yeah. I know that yeah no that's what I'm saying somebody. like it didn't happen I wasn't throwing LaCroix you know no, I didn't plan this yeah but do but it happened and people started fighting with the police and uh you know we got blamed for that in our community and we're like yeah fuck yeah that was us like what like what are you guys gonna do you know and like now the mascots coming down, that's something that we've been fighting for. Um, it's just all these things that happen right, right in a row that we've been fighting for for 50 years, 100 years, you know, and now it's all of a sudden happening. But I think like in the future, the things that we are missing is like what people said about like the evictions, like how are we going to stop people from getting evicted? Mm-hmm. And I think the same way that we stop the police from beating the shit out of us, we go out there and we stand in front of people's houses and Bite the police. You're going to evict them. You got to come through us. You know, and, um, I think that's something that I don't know I'm thinking about in, in our community. Like, because when we were doing mutual aid, we were paying people's rent. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. what happens now that we don't have that money to pay yeah. that rent for them anymore? Absolutely. So I'm going to stand outside and you're going to have to like fight the police or something. Like, have you ever seen that video from New Orleans where people were trying to, landlords were trying to serve uh, rent uh, eviction notices and organizers blocked the entrance to the courthouse? So it wasn't even like at the house. It, w- it was at the place where the legal process would happen and they weren't able to serve it that day. Obviously that's not like a long-term solution, but it's like, you know, that, that's, that doesn't feel reactive to me. That feels proactive to me. And, and real quick to, to, to the importance of this, you know, eviction space and that coming more to the front of our, our thinking, uh, a thing that I don't hear pointed out enough is that it's sheriff departments that do the evicting. Right. And so like, the, the, the way we need to stop siloing and talking about this thing all at once uh, is that without these police forces that beat us up all the time or that kill people or that is causing this crisis of incarceration, there would be no mechanism to kick people out of their homes and displace people. Uh, and so I, that would be the type of thing that would be, I mean, I'm sure they would create something else in private police force, but mm-hmm. as things stand, the banks themselves, the landlords themselves don't evict nobody. They're they not ready for that action. And so they need yeah. cops to do this. And that would be a great, I think, connection to make moving forward yeah mm-hmm. and just to go back to what you were saying damon earlier around the connection between militarization and um police right um one of the pieces that we talked about is how the gangs were actually used as paramilitary forces 
how you can actually deploy people yep. that are already organized in communities, right? To either mm-hmm. protect or to um, to hurt communities, right? So I guess, how do we get to the point where if the system is able to utilize organized crime or organized factions within our communities to repress us and kill us and terrorize us, how do we get to the point where we're the ones that can deploy and utilize our community members for the safety and well-being of our own communities, right? So I think it's really, um, the infrastructures are there. It's just that we haven't been able to tap into them to actually utilize, I mean, you know, back in the day, we know that gangs were originated to protect, right? But not anymore. So how do we go back to those spaces Depends. where people feel invested in their communities? Um, not all the time, right? I mean, there are, I don't want us to do like a blank statement, they never protect us because that is also not true. But can they be deployed to actually protect and, and support communities and help with anti-eviction issues, help with these other mechanisms, right? I right. think Laura just said, if you feeling real gangster, you got to bust at the police. <laughs> <laughs> real talk. I think yeah. that's what I heard. No. I wanna, yeah, I was thinking like uh, very similar to, like, I, I think it was like Rick Wilson who like posted immediately after the decolonizing, um, taking down the statue that it was very angry about like, you know, all these people posted up in our neighborhoods. Where were you when we needed you at the statue? Like, where were you when, you know, we needed you at, at Home and Square? Where were you? And I think that, that that's a very much, I think, still a sentiment in, in a lot of uh, the missed opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. For, for yeah, the work that, we, that we're doing is, is really including all. Um, but to Charles' point, like, I think, Charles, you're right. And, and it's really hard to do move politics in this city in particular and in the state because of the, the machine, right? And because of how like the many, many years of, of how this thing has been designed. I mean, Lori Lightfoot, people, there are so many people I know who were like so hopeful about her. And we all told them, we were like, no. Oh, it's, <laughs> such, it's such a like, tragically ironic, I told you so. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, come on, y'all. But, yeah, like my, my thing is like, Lori Lightfoot was offered and like we spoke down against Lori Lightfoot, but what was the alternative that we pushed yeah. people towards? Yeah. 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 Are honest the way like there was like you know people like the way there was like vested interest you know what i mean like you had the dsa spending more time trying to take down amara with like tacky hit pieces than they were trying to actually draw attention to take down like glory because they wanted to see tony preckwinkle win you know and i think that it's important to think about the ways in which like when you start mirroring the um when you start mirroring not, uh, you know, in, in comedy, we have a thing called punch up, don't punch down, which means like you attack mm. those in power before you attack those horizontally or those below you. And I think that that's something that organizers even like, you know, are not organizers, but that people can learn when we do get into these type of vex, vex, in, uh, these type of vex spaces. And when people do have like, you know, um, uh, a kind of um, a horse in the race or something that somebody that they're going for, right? Like that type of idea. And so I think about that and like, you know, I re- the, the all so many of the people that I love are in the the, the DSA. Some of the, they do great work, right? Like Rosanna and Byron. But I do think it's important that we can be able to point to that and say, what was that shit about? Mm-hmm. You know, because it is part of how we got mm-hmm. life put into mm-hmm. how we got life put into office. Yep. And so yeah. I'm thinking, when I think about like some of the lessons to be learned, I think that's some of the stuff to be. Yeah, learned. don't get me started on the DSA. <laughs> why do y'all at the DSA and they're not here to defend themselves this exactly that's why I said I'm not going to start on them next time we'll talk to them <laughs> but I, I do think I do think yeah we have I a lot of comments I think it's a lesson around co-optation, right? And not to point to them specifically, but like what we're seeing right now in this upcoming election and what we've seen in these primaries 
is that so much of the in the streets and uh, you know radical energy is being transferred into building like a alternative progressive electoral power block. And that's happening in Chicago. That's happening in New York. That's happening all over the country. Um, and that's a beautiful thing. And that's not what we're doing this for. <laughs> and, and we have to be really careful that that doesn't become what the conversation is about. Because I mean, I think we saw it here in Chicago with the Hawazi, with Ergo, we're, with where the conversations happen. All of a sudden, all these people who do all this amazing organizing work all we were talking about was an electoral election for about four months. Mm -hmm. And the things that we could have done in that time instead uh, would have pre better prepared us to deal with the ramifications of that election. Right. Um, and, and I think one of the other, so I'm like, I think one of the things too is except that I learned is like um, fake bitches are going to be fake bitches. Right. And what I mean is, you know, just today, Jackie Serato, you know, the, who's usually our co-host, she's working on a story right now. So she couldn't be here. She had to be at the on-site like, uh, reporting. And so, but she shared a picture of Jose Torres, who ran for alderman in, in Burke's ward, who uh, bowed out when basically, you know, essentially Chewy told him to because he wanted to uh, have Tanya Patino run. And who now, you know, after all this that's happening, right, with Hilco that, you know, kind of like uh, has endangered Mexican uh, immigrant communities like, like Little Village with you know, the, um, the tensions that exist in somewhere like Brighton Park where he was running and like the, the, the disposability of the way life is viewed there um, and th that the city exacerbates was just, you know, sharing a video of him wishing Lori Lightfoot a happy birthday with some mariachis at a Mexican restaurant. And it was like, man, yeah. like, if that's your allegiance to community, even now, right now, like there's a, there's a, there's a problem. I think that's one thing. And, and then I think the other part is like the way in which I think I've never heard so many activists who give so much to everybody else also take a, like, also not, not that they stop doing that at all, but that they also, it's so refreshing to hear them talk about themselves. Like, oh, I'm doing this for me. I'm taking care of myself in this way, in a way, and that we kind of all had to slow down. I mean, now shit's got riled up. I feel like I haven't slept in a month, you know, like in two months, but like, it has been like one of those things where it was like, I think at the, at the outside of the pandemic, I've seen people take care of themselves in a different way and forced to slow down and, you know, was, was really good. Yeah. I was like, I was like, for an anti-capitalist, I sure work a lot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of can't stop working. Like what's that about? You know? Revolutionaries got to work more. Right. Gotta work harder. So I think speaking of revolutionary, I want to close out and one, you know, well, man, can we, okay, we go a little bit longer. How are we feeling? Yeah. Cause before you close out, we have to, we have to, Shout out, rest in peace, FBG Duck. I was a big fan. Chicago took a hit on that one. Right. And I think what one of the things I'm, I'm thinking about, too, is like speaking of like death is like, you know, we were talking about this yesterday in our editorial meeting is like one, like when we think about these, like I think the closest thing we've seen since like that's comparative to this movement is like the the black power movement is like the civil rights movement and the black power movement in its wake and the other radical minority nationalisms that happen. And those movements, what happened in their wake was we saw power, power shift. It granted them some demands, right? Like they were like, fine, you'll get civil rights. But actually now we're going to um, give you the prison industrial complex. And the power refined itself. And part of how power was able to refine itself was it, it also like, you know, absorbed those movements and then refined its methods of oppression. But it also straight up killed those movements, right? Through infiltration, like COINTELPRO. Um, uh, sowing kind of like division in those movements. And then we think about, we live in Chicago where someone like Fred Hampton was, I feel like scared to talk about this, where someone like Fred Hampton was assassinated 
you know, at 23 years old. And I think about like, you know, so much of the work that we're doing is kind of like radical work that that can be dangerous. And so I guess like some of the things that were that I want us to think about is like, um, I guess one of the questions is like, how do you see power refining itself? Also, um, are you fearful? Are you scared about retaliation from power? Have you had, you know what I mean? Like, and, and how are you understanding that position in this moment? And if we are fearful of the threat of political repression and retaliation, what are the things we can do to, um, to fight back and to protect mm-hmm. each other? So, you know, I immediately thought about the fact that Lori Lightfoot responded to the Twitter storm that that happened like two weeks ago. That actually didn't make me fearful, but it made me realize like, oh, shit, you know what I mean? Like she's probably watching right now. Um, And she obviously knows who all of us are. Right. So I really said the Twitter storm. I love it. (laughs) Twitter. American nationals, they refuse. They're like, we're going to say Twitter. Twitter. Um, I can't speak English right? properly. Are you shaming me? No, 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 no. Hey, okay. No, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Don't pay I'm attention a, to it. I'm an ESL person, so I learned English at 15. So um, anyway, so no, really thinking about like, the, it is, I mean, I don't want to say it's dangerous, but we all know. We all know. If we've been doing this work for a long time, we all know, right? And I think that the methods of repression are a lot more um, elegant, if I should say, or at least more insidious than they used to be, right? Um, they don't, I, I think that the killing somebody in their home with a bunch of bullets by the by the police is not going to be the way they operate. At least I, I don't think that's going to be their first choice. Um, but I do want to, re- you know, think about Ilda and I were actually talking about this earlier, right? If we were in Latin America, we would be dead. Um, Latin America, you know, especially in Mexico, you have activists killed every single day for doing things that we do or even less than we do. They don't dare even speak out against the government. They don't dare to go and stand outside of, um, you know, any government official and, and badmouth them, right? You will be, you will be disappeared. Um, so understanding that in some ways in this country, I don't want to say we have the freedom because they're obviously watching us and they're keeping tabs on us. Right. But I think the level and, and you know, somebody said that to me when I was talking at the black and brown rally in, in North Lawndale, I said, this is the most dangerous thing that we could do. It's not the activism we do outside with a thousand people is when you speak um, about black and brown unity in the hood and people actually show up and want to do that work and want to build that community and want to have those businesses together and want to hang out together. Right. So I think the level of threat is not as um, it's not this thing that we think about, at least in my perspective or for me, like the Fred Hampton type of thing. This is more the stuff where you won't get hired, where they won't give you the job, where they will stop you from leaving the country, where if you do come back, they might not let you in, where they might deny you, you know, your your citizenship if you do decide to do something. Right. Um, and I think the piece about it is that they're not really letting us know that they're watching us unless you have some sort of special, you know, program that lets you know that they're tracking your phone, which I know they are. Right. So I think part of it is like that the illusion of safety. I haven't had that in a decade. Um, but I don't know yet the consequences of this particular moment. And that is what is uncertain and scary sometimes. Yeah, I'm with Lada. I never had this, you know, Fred Hampton was killed with more bullets, but in, in the same way Breonna Taylor was. Um, Corinne Gaines was. Um, FBG Ducks, just, you know, got killed. Yeah. I've been shot at plenty of times. And so, I mean, that was the whole point for me is like, you know, I'm going to get this exotic death, this new 
you know, different death, not this regular 79th Street, 87th Street, 95th Street death. Um, so but if I'm gonna die for something, I'm gonna die for something for real. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think it's the same, like the same for me. Like as a Native woman, I think I'm always on borrowed time. You know, I was born surviving genocide. Um, and it's always like this idea, like, to me, like, uh, people are like, why aren't you scared of this? Why aren't you scared of that? Because, you know, what are they going to do? Kill me? Like, they didn't kill me forever. Like, they can't do nothing, really, that can affect me. Because, like, what are you going to do? You know, if you don't care, if you already prepared that you can die for this stuff, then, you know, what What worse can they do? They can't do anything. Like, they can come at your family, but my family's down for that, too. Like, what are, you know, like, <laughs> what are they going to do so I think it's like this idea, like I'm our, I'm almost at that age where, you know, like this is how old native people get. Like my dad's older than native people get. We get 57 and we like, we're all dead by 57 basically. So this idea that like you're coming to that and you have to do something with this, this borrowed, like I always think of it as borrowed time. Like I just have this much time. My mom died young, natives die young. We have to do as much as we can right now. And I think it's always like the same thing. Like Fred Hampton died for trying to get solidarity against racism. You know, he died, you know, he said like, we don't fight fire with fire, we fight fire with water, you know? And that's kind of how native people have been living our life. Like we're water, we have to adapt to everything, anything that comes at us because like, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? You know, like everybody else, if you went to where your ancestral territory is, you're gonna see you. We don't get to see ourselves at our ancestral homes, you know? So, like, basically, there's nothing they can do. Like, I was on Tiger Swan's list. Like, um, I just feel like if this is the work that you choose to do, you don't really have a choice. And if you get to choose if it's going to be dangerous or not. Yeah. Definitely. Think, um, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, definitely I, I echo the sentiments of like coming into this disillusion from like a historical place, uh, but also an experience, you know, the, the the origin of the work being Ferguson, like, you know, our, our cars had like trackers on them that we found and we're like, oh, we, we, we found out that we are on the Homeland Security terrorist watch list, right? Like, so all of this understanding uh, of what they've done around the world, what they've done in different times here, um, you know, I came into it with that with that knowledge, uh, but I do think this conversation is really important right now. Uh, one to make sure that we don't have a collective like naivete, because uh, mm. I think it's real easy to like make this shit cute and make this shit about like our little action. Um, and I think it's as not American, easy to make it cute, but <laughs> <laughs> y'all are super cute. Yes, you're trying. But, but, <laughs> that was great. I think as like Americans, we, we can we can um, we can have this like privileged notion of what state violence really is. So bringing up Central, you know, Americans and Latin America as a whole um, is like what happens right now in other places with people Mm -hmm. doing these very same things or what happened to anybody up to 30 years ago saying these things out loud, Um, you know, in order of like building our strategy and being healthy, I think having this conversation and not being this scary in the shadows thing is to our advantage. Uh, But I, I did get like a little bit more like, oh man, like, if I just do the math, we kind of are up next. Uh, and so I got like more of those calls like, hey, how you doing? I'm worried about you <laughs> from like 15 people that maybe start to like, all right, let me think about this a little bit more. So part of how 
uh, I protect myself is just not having my shit together. I think the Fred Hampton was just so damn effective and was really able to get all these meetings together. <laughs> I just try to have my schedule disorganized. I'm like, yeah, he might say some pretty words, but he's not really going to get that done. They don't, know, they they don't know where Damon is because Damon doesn't know where Damon is. <laughs> so that's, that's my like joking way to protect myself. Yeah. But I think, I think on, on like being sober about this, um, recognizing that like, you know, revolution is not overthrow and it's not about the arrogance of what we want to see in our lifetime. And it's not about um, just exactly. taking power, it's about transforming how power works. So I think one of the lessons we could take from, from you know, the 60s and 70s is there was this romanticization with militarism um, and this idea of like, we are the Viet Cong here and like, we're ready to guerrilla warfare, take them down. And that actually was not the capacity uh, of that movement. Um, and I don't think it's wise to, to shoot at somebody like metaphorically um, when you're not ready. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I think we, we now know that it's not just about we don't like this military. It is militarism that we are trying to have a world without. Um, and so therefore we cannot be like this militaristic guerrilla force, even though we're not going to be passive. And even though we, we are trying to take down this military state. So, yeah, that's that's some of my lessons. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of Jessica Krug. Uh, we had her on the um on the show before and she, you know, is writing a book called Fugitive Modernities and she talks about Kisama, which is like this, you know, a, a people, but also like um, in, in, uh, in Africa and they had, a, uh, they were known as fierce warriors without ever having a word for warrior, for, you know, for war. And part of it is like what she says is like, cause you can, um, you can actually, um, are, you can actually use the tools of the oppressor without ever being reduced to the idiom of, of the oppressor, right? Like, and, and within that same channel, if you need to, right? And so I think that's, that's, that just reminded me of it. I feel like I wanted to share that really quick because I feel like it's also... Uh, yeah. Charles, you were going to say something, right? Yeah, um, I was just thinking about, like, um, the 60s and also, like, the, the history of riots. Like, if you look at, like, the history of, like, riots, you will see that they are decreasing in America, like, over time. Yep. And like back in like the 50s, 40s, 30s, like riots were like generally like common. And then you have like organizations such as like communist organizations and yeah, like the Black Panthers and other like groups like the Black Liberation Army who were like paramilitary, like they were armed groups and really threatening, um, explicitly like threatening with armed resistance, the uh, American order. And so uh, I'm thinking about that and like, I guess, like fast forward today where like most of us, like most of the people out in the streets just want the police killings to stop. Like very basic ass. And this is like beyond, you know, our organizing and activism circles. I'm just talking about like- folks I don't like, want to see him no more. <laughs> I'm just talking about like folks, folks protesting the, like, and like rock street Illinois. <laughs> folks protesting in like small towns like they just want yeah. the police to stop killing yet they are needing like militarized um a militarized presence so i i think i think the repression and how power power is moving is it's it's more silently and it's always like before the protest and so like these are like there's anti-protest laws that trump signed that barack obama signed that are like locally and so like now like you vandalize a fucking statue, you get 10 years in the fit. Mm -hmm. And so like, this mm -hmm. is the way, like, I think these repressive rights taxes are like more explicitly, like just looking back at the riots that occurred on the 30th, like over 14,000 people were arrested, 30 people died, but compared that to like the 1992 LA riots, 62 people died. It's not necessarily like we're actively going to shoot up your home and kill 
sue you. We're just going to like arrest you, make you silent, um, fuck up. Like a lot of things that Louder like pointed out, like we're going to fuck up the way you get money. We're going to fuck up like your home. You're not going to be able to rent this. You're not going to be able to lease that. Your credit score is going to be bogus. Like these so many ways that the Panthers ain't have to worry about. Like niggas wasn't worried about like credit scores and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I think the, the tactics are more, it's, it's more insidi- insidious and like passive. I'm not ruling out like the fact that like at any moment, like we can be like raided or some shit. Oh, but yeah. like, I don't think the level of active, uh, like the level of public display has gotten to the point where like something like a Fred Hampton will like be recreated. Not until like there's like militarized groups, militarized like communists and like, like socialists out here. And they're saying like, yo, we will fuck up the pig. Like, mm-hmm. and I would put but three first. people were killed in Ferguson, like, mm-hmm. like in like state retaliation. Yeah. So the like the level you get to, you know, it, it you don't know. I think that everybody who, you know, maybe there's something I think might be different about like Steve Biko yeah. and, and Martin Luther King. Like nobody thought that they were at that level, I think. Um, Part of it is too. Uh, I mean, to, to, I think, uh, I mean, some of the stuff that I would throw back at that is like, because I think one of the things that I'm thinking about is that like, power is not threatened by the same things anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like some like power is not just like in, in the age of social media and things like that. It's not necessarily just threatened by like the display of force that it itself only relied on. We know that power itself doesn't rely on that anymore. Right. Like the society of spectacle, like celebrity. And that stuff has been one of the things that it's deployed to, to manipulate people, debt has been one of the things that it's deployed, right? Like there's it, it's its own arsenal and repertoire of like um, social techne and population management have kind of been refined. And so I think what poses new threats to power, you know, is also kind of, especially when you have a burgeoning fascist state, right? Like is kind of like even even discourse because fascism is fragile. It's and 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 it and it views itself as fragile all the time. It's why you have white people storming capitals because they feel like they've been transgressed upon, you know? And so I I'm I'm um whereas like I I I agree, you know, to a certain extent, I also think that we gotta be on guard for a state that views itself, you know, uh, for uh fascist fragility that you know has to eradicate everything. Because in somewhere like Argentina, you know, like students protesting for free bus fare became the reason to disappear them and you know and and children like not just students like college students like eighth graders you know and so i think about that in this moment right now for you know for me i I think one of the reasons why i relied so heavily on putting making everything an art project was because immediate cover it was cover and i've been able to radically politicize hundreds of young people in chicago by by theater i've been able to you know talk about colonialism through a web series that like that like literally i could go to any city and someone comes up to me is like yo you made brujos right like that shit's fucking amazing like you know and that they became more politically aware and stuff like that and so like i've always like i had like a couple scary instant incidents during this and i don't when you have a, a a close friend whose dad was assassinated you don't romanticize any of this of that shit you know what i mean like you actually see what it does to a family yeah i'm just like and I think like, you know, and part of me is always in denial. Like Lada knows that I'm always like, ain't no one going to do shit, do shit to us. Like I'm, I'm, I'm running a fucking news show and I'm like, oh no, that's exactly part of what I'm thinking in these moments too, like that. And so like, you know, I think about that stuff too. Um, yeah. But to that, to that point though, and it's something that I'm hearing echoed a lot. It's like, and I know the people on this call know this already, but like the things that you 
that you are instinctively doing in response to this, whether they're like applicable for this moment or not, that's because that's what was useful for survival for the people who got you here, right? So you can decide whether that's what's useful in this moment or not, or whether you want to take it, but like just a reminder to not undermine the instincts that you have um, and then assess them and see if they're useful. Like it's something that I've been wrestling with is like, you know, as grandparents who are Holocaust survivors, like they survived by fleeing, they survived by, by leaving. And like, I know that that's where my instinct is. I know that's what learned. And then I get to decide like, is that what I need for this moment, right? And so we all have for our various positions, the things that we learned is what we do to survive, but we also have the agency to like recognize them and then make the choices for like, what do we want to do? Uh, but don't, you know, don't underestimate that instinct because it worked. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I will be fresh I, as hell when the feds watch. <laughs> and, um, cue the, you make me feel like a dangerous woman. <laughs> like, oh, you got the playlist ready? I don't have to. Oh, my God. It's not the part where it's all like scary and y'all don't yeah. like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, there's also this in here. Like, <laughs> come on in. Yeah. I, feel, I feel like the fed watching you is having the most fun of any of us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, another quick point Um, into this point of like the danger of this. uh, We always just got to be assessing globally um, and understand that like the the strike back or the push out um, is the most fierce when like the powers, when the state feels their power is threatened at risk. And we need to recognize the United States is really unique historically as like their interest is not in the United States. Uh, And so. Uh, it is going to be the slap that right like it wasn't just like niggas in the 60s had guns it was like niggas in the 60s had guns and like and we aligned with the vehicle and Mau Mau and uh, Jerry, you right like this yeah. is what we see ourselves connected to um and and it, it is when, it is when we see globally that things are starting to fall off or there's starting to be these pressures or these China trade wars or these proxy yeah. Syria Iran yeah. type things yeah. once those become more precarious that is when our work becomes more dangerous yeah. to imperialism. Uh, and so that is when, even if we just stay in queue, uh, there will be an intensi- intensification. Mm-hmm. So we just really got to have our antennas up and we got to keep our whatever connection you have to folks on the ground around the world to kind of know when things are escalating because we won't actually see it at our doorstep until mm-hmm. it might be too late. Too late. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. thank you yeah. for saying that, Damon, because you always bring the international perspective, which is something that I always carry with me because I learned about this stuff from living in Mexico City, it's right? Stop hating, y'all. Stop hating. Y'all want to be like me, first, but you can't. First nationalism. But yeah. no, what I'm saying that me and Daniel, me and Daniel made eye contact through Zoom. No, 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 what's happening? It's, it's about to happen. Whatever. Happen. I'm gonna go talk to Damon because Damon knows. <laughs> Damon knows. Uh, anyway, you know what? So I fucks with you and your body. Yeah, you're right. You're true. Thank you. I love you. Mexicans appreciated black people a little bit more. Maybe I mean, you go down this spread that <laughs> I'll be a binational. I, I'll take too. you over there so that you can meet a lot of good okay. people. I'm First um, Nations. I'm technically binational. There you go. Y'all are binational. <laughs> Ricky is the only one that's hating. No, but all I want to say My is... people came up in the Black Peace Stone Nation. I don't know if that counts as well. <laughs> <laughs> I learned a lot about bi- binationalism with the gang work, but we'll talk about that another time. But one of the pieces that's really interesting that you brought up, right, is like, how is it that we believe these things? And I have to say it's the school system, right? The ways in which you are really kept from knowing the, the, the global knowledge that we really need not just to 
resist, but also to be able to locate ourselves in the world. You know, we always talk about American exceptionalism. And I think that really comes to play even in activism, right? We ain't that special. We are not different from the rest of the world. And actually, if we were to learn and, 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 you know, some of us do have that curiosity and connection and humility to say what's going on across the borders and figure out how people are learning, managing to survive dictatorships that have been supported by this government for decades, right? But I definitely think, you know, when we think about building a movement and staying safe, now we really got to think about the digital security, right? I think that is the place that is the scariest. They can fucking turn on your computer from wherever they're at. They can hack into your phone. They can literally fuck you up without ever touching you. So, you know, for me, and I think the piece that it's been the hardest is to see that, you know, we still have infiltrators. We still have people who work for the government who might, we might think are our best friends, you know? So I think like naivete doesn't work, right? We need to get over the naivete that, oh, you're cool. I like you. Therefore, you cannot be a government, you know, a spy or an infiltrator from another organization or coming from another country to truly, you know, fuck us up. But I think at the core, we need to learn from those histories of struggle from other spaces as well as here, but also really start to talk to people who are currently organizing in other places where they really are super, um, where the dictatorships are really watching everything they do and where they have to operate in different levels, right? One that's super outsized, one is super internal and very secure. So for me, the, the security piece is really coming to play into learning like we need to learn how to be secure over the internet, right? And like learning how to keep our shit safe in a way that we haven't thought about before. So just so you know, I'm dating nerds now. So if any of you out there are nerds that can hack, please call me. <laughs> you have to, you have to make the, the infiltrators have to sell drugs so that, you know what I'm saying? Like at least at the end of the day, Something. you would be like the CIA, the FBI, whoever they were, they was in here selling drugs. <laughs> Or yeah. or make them take like pictures, like you know, be a model and make them take <laughs> pictures. You what know? kind of pictures you talking about? I need motherfuckers just to have. What kind of pictures? Are just to have. Cosmetic. I need, I need, I need motherfuckers to hack the hack, hack the city hack budget. Shit, yeah. I need totally. motherfuckers to hack the city budget. I need motherfuckers to hack yeah. the city budget. Hack the hack hack the student loans, the fair loans. Yes, thing. yes. Hack Thank all you, Charles. The shit. Like what a hack. Hack is these parking yeah, tickets. Get parking rid of tickets. these parking tickets. Get the parking tickets. Yes. In the boots. So I guess so, I'm so glad that you said that, Charles. For hackers. Right, official call for hackers. Because in Chile, when they protested a few years ago, the entire country, you know, went, uh, changing their education system. That's exactly what these some of these hackers did. Is that they deleted everyone's debt education debt so even now that they're like quote unquote back to like they just have no traces of anybody owing any loans any student loans i'm anonymous like did you see what happened to the paper did you see what happened to the uh... i'm trying to be all up in chile when this is uh, out you know what i'm saying when we could fly again i'm a (laughs) yeah they did did you see what happened to like the twitter hackers they were like twitter hackers one was a teenager and they basically hacked like all these verified accounts and put like they Bitcoin wallet up so like they can get some money. And like the feds caught them and now they serving like they're about to serve some years in the Fed. But like I feel like that's the type of activism we need. Like what the fuck? I need yeah. to learn from Yeah, that. the TikTokers, yeah, right, that like bullshitted about going to, to Tulsa and then it ended up being empty. Yo, that was like, <laughs> <laughs> <No>. you know <laughs> that was awesome. That was yeah, awesome. Anyway. Um, but I want to go back yeah, to to reminding people yeah. uh, there was um 
I, I don't always think about it because I think for like many of us here along, I decided a long time ago, like what those threats were, mm-hmm. especially as, as an American historian, I'm, I'm very aware <laughs> right, of, of who they come for. Um, so I think that that's a very uh, deep and, and intentional decision that many of us make um, in doing this, right, in doing the long haul. Um, but I, I do want to like remind people, right, that that Fred Hampton's um, murder was because a, a brother actually infiltrated, joined the, the Black Panther Party. And then years, years later, after, you know, Fred Hampton was murdered, he committed suicide off the Jan Ryan, the 1995. He jumped off yeah. the Jan Ryan. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, and, and um, there's a lot of like historians now that that have pulled a lot of information around um they don't think that he was put there knowing what was going to happen. Mm. Um, that they, they, I think there was some manipulation of, of also having, you know, at the time having black folks on the force. Um, and, you know, at the civil rights movement, I remember there was a lot of movement towards putting people of color in those positions. And now we're at the place where we recognize that it's not about identity politics, it's about that system. Um, and I think a lot of people in the past are, are starting to see that. That, that they thought if they if we if they look like us then maybe it can change but that was not the case um, but definitely um, being conscious of that's why those deep relationships are necessary and and I'm not talking about like just going to dinners with people I'm talking about like true intimacy with folk um, because that's the you know that's the the piece that scares me made me nervous about seeing so many people at some of these rallies was you know I'm so used to going to places and knowing some people. Huh? I said, intimacy. I'll have sex with anyone except activists. It's just like <laughs> radical intimacy. Amen. Radical Amen. intimacy. Yeah, Ricky. So I've heard you, Ricky. I've heard you talk about fucking more cops than activists. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck twelve, right? Fuck twelve. <laughs> twelve people. So you know what we need? We need a dating service. And right. Do not fuck twelve under no circumstances. <laughs> I just had to say this. Do not. <laughs> It's fuck twelve. Do not. I just have had too many like um, reports from people that twelve actually does have like smaller penises as as a person who chases penis. Like, there's just way too many. I've done an informal research project, and there's just way too many people who come. They they always. None of them are wearing masks. Wait, this actually actually brings up what I want to close out on, right? Because I think we're talking about fuck twelve. How and in the world does that bring- <laughs> we talk we're talking about fuck twelve and so Great segue. I want to say two things uh, you know before we get to Charles Rona reflection. The first is like I think um one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life was uh, Randy Martin, who was my advisor, um Marxist, um uh you know, Marxist scholar. And one of the things he told me he said that uh power always finds its limit against an organized body of people. And I think the best thing that like, you know, those people that are watching or those people that will stumble upon this, like you know, um, it's not just, you know, once they come for radicals, when they come for those people, it, it doesn't usually stop there, you know? And so like, it's they the gonna get your ass too. Right? They gonna get your ass too. And it's the power in, in, uh, in numbers that actually is, is, is a form of protection. Um, and, uh, and so I want to, uh, leave that there. Cause I think we need a lot of numbers behind, uh, defunding police still. We are the yeah. only major city in the United States yeah. of America that has yet to make any concessions to the demand uh, by Black Lives and everyone that stands behind them who are more than intimate with state violence, like 
you know, other racialized bodies, uh, queer people as in queer as fuck the police, not as in let me wear my Speedo on top of a float. Um, but like, um, and so I'm saying that because, um, you know, both uh, Big Tree and Damon um, are involved with the Black Abolitionist, Abolitionist Network that have been doing some amazing work right now. And that I want to like close out before we throw it to Charles to close us out on the way people can get involved or support those efforts. Um, aside from hearing anything on every social media <laughs> about uh, the need to defund police, because that is one of the few things our mayor responds to, uh, is her public image. Um, so Damon and uh, Big Tree, want to talk to us about how people can support that those, those efforts? I'll say very simply, you can text DEFUN, D-E-F-U-N, to 773-900-7000. And, uh, you know, you'll get the updates. We'll get you involved. Um, David will have more, but also, um, y'all listen, Laura is saying, date me. But <laughs> don't fuck too. Fuck me. Y'all are not hearing this. And then if you are going to be interested in Laura, do not be like, I enjoyed your perspective on that panel. You be like, I want to take you out for food and tell you how good you look. That's the signal. Thank you. Right. Thank Go ahead, you. David. <laughs> yeah, so definitely, I, I didn't have that text number off the top of my head, so I'm glad we got that out. So definitely do that. Um, you know, just look up the hashtag DefundCPD, and that will also lead you to the bit.ly, uh, bit.ly backslash DefundCPD, but it's like case sensitive. Uh, and make sure that you sign on to, to endorse and support the demands uh, as we're trying to build up that list. And then we encourage folks, um, you know, to also take your own action uh, that, you know, this campaign came out of a mass moment of that there were already thousands of people in the streets. Um, so there, you know, there are flyers and, and actions coming up, you know, all the time. And you kind of, you know, if you're in the know or in these right Instagram and, and Twitter threads, they will be obvious. Uh, but we also want to encourage people to take their own action. Uh, in community. Sure Do in not community. get on this, um, the nigga with the vest bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, this is yeah, not your CNN individualistic moment of yeah, glory. Yeah, yeah. This yeah, is yeah. like in community with respect yeah. to, you know. Point. Yeah. So, it, so one, that means like having conversations um, or it could be, you know, I, I really want everybody to start turning up on their argument and particularly the Black Caucus is, is something that we really need to start focusing on. Uh, and so, yeah, do, do your research, have your conversations, uh, but, you know, sign on the demands and hit the text and you'll get the information to plug in. And there are virtual trainings that are happening, rolling. And from there, you can actually plug into some of the committee work if you want to be part of the internal team. But also, fuck the police and fuck Lori. And like a lot of people have power to go to go and activate that all over the city. For sure. And if you do like a live, like, you know, that's a lot of the, the get in these digital streets, do a set a date and a time for uncalendared niggas like where me and Damon came from, you know, set a date and a time and tell you people to come uh, on the digital streets and then do like a, a Facebook live and talk, talk to your family, talk to your friends about defund the police. Mm -hmm. If you want to do like a physically distant barbecue, um, that's also good. Like get your family, get your friends, get your neighbors. Um, I want to, uh, thank all of our guests. Um, I also want to, uh, you know, Laura, Hilda, Janie, Amika, Damon, Daniel, like the stuff that we're doing, like this show would not literally, it literally is, it would be impossible without the work that you contributed. We literally would not be doing the things. It could not exist without the stuff that you do. Um, some of you on a day-to-day -day basis, like Janie, Daniel for the long haul has been like, you know what I mean? Such a huge supporter for the past two years and like been like the heart, like of, of the, of the operation in so many ways. Um, to Ellen, 
um, you know, that's not here. Uh, she's out of town, I think, right now, right? Ellen um, is so cute. You know, <laughs> you know all, all, everyone that's been on the show before, like Christiana, that's not here, you know. Um, and a special shout out to Yasmin, um, who is our editorial producer yes. and has just been like, yes. indispensable, indispensable, yes. um, you know, during this time. Thank you so much. Um, I want to throw it away to um, the homie Charles to close us out with the Rona reflection. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Charles. Yes. And y'all, data, data organizer, data activist, you hear about <laughs> We're lonely over here. We're lonely. Big tree, I, I wanted to ask that number you live said. normal lives. Never date an activist or an organizer. At least Daniel said the number, the number, what about the number? I was just going to say, if they text defund, they get the info. But what do they have to text if they're trying to get at you? Oh, all the at Big Tree 10s, all the at Big Tree 10s, hit the DMs. And don't do no boring how you doing. Make it. They're going to miss your anniversary. They're going to miss your anniversary for a meeting. Don't do it. <laughs> Charles, shut up! You got some issues, Charles. Like, I'm sorry. I'm good. I'm not speaking for her. I'm good. That's you know it. I'm good. I'm good. But everybody's not in this for anniversaries either. Some people right. just need a quarantine. That you try to mess up. Right now. <laughs> it might not last a year. You know, it might not last a year. An anniversary. Charles, is that, that ain't your Rona reflection, is it? No, it's not. It's not. All right, not. let's hear it. Let's, okay. let's um, have your Rona reflection. That was, that was his Rona deflection. Value <laughs> listening to, to women. So, quote, uh, quote, all three Columbus statues are down in Chicago. Intersex surgeries will halt at Lori's Children's Memorial. CPS will be remote this fall. Y'all are powerful. We are making shit happen. Do not stop now. Demand nothing less than abolition. End quote. I read this from radical artist Monica Trinidad's Twitter account. It's true. Resistance should never stop. The streets should always have a heartbeat opposed, and that is protest. These wins took years of persistent and consistent organizing to establish the power that can make these goals attainable. I would like to add that the Obama CBA had a victory as well with the introduction of the CBA housing ordinance in Chicago City Council. An ordinance that Lori Lightfoot is willing to sign that protects many Woodlawn folks from the oncoming gentrification. Shout out to the CBA. Protest and solidarity wins every time, and we should never lose sight of that. It's also hard to ignore the urgency and pain that this moment has fostered for many of us. We're in a pandemic, protesting even in a pandemic. Um, statistics like Cook County is seeing an alarming rise in the number of suicides among Black residents. The number of deaths have already matched the total for last year. COVID trends are regressing back to the initial onset of the disease. 108,000 cases were contracted in Cook County with deaths totaling 4,900. Chicago has also seen its bloodiest July since the early 90s in homicides and shootings. 107 killed, 196 wounded, 91 of those people were black. I can't shake how quickly the city, the state, and the nation has gotten over a mass shooting at a black funeral home where the police were fucking present. That left 15 black folks injured, 10 women. Some folks even self-drove themselves to the ER. 
We have lost so many due to politics and policy. We're under great stress. And as this pandemic heightens, unemployment benefits end, eviction moratoriums cease, burnout from mutual aid occurs, hospital beds fill, domestic and intimate partner violence increases, homelessness becomes a reality to more, gangs continue to beef, and the police continue to be police. As radical and so-called woke actors, we have no time to waste and damn near even less time to be critical. We know what this is. This is what racist neoliberal fascism has created. Our response must continue to be thorough in addressing the needs of the oppressed as we walk amongst, not with, but amongst them into a radical future. If you haven't done so, please tap in. Tap the fuck in. You are needed in community with others. Know your neighbors. Start building that collective utopia in your head now. Make it tangible now. This is an all-hands-on-deck moment. It may not feel like it. You have Netflix. Rooftop bars are open. Your friends are posting pretty-ass pics on the gram. LeBron is playing his little heart out. Your favorite mass incarceration Democrat is slated to win the presidency. But things are not normal. And normal was fucked up. I dare us not to return to the oppression that we're used to. This is all hands on deck. So I leave you with the words of George Jackson. Quote, settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is already here, that people are already dying who could be saved, that generations more will live poor, butchered half-lives if you fail to act. Do what must be done, discover your humanity and love and your love in revolution, end quote. Beautiful. Beautiful. Tell him, Charles. Charlet, as he is known in France. <laughs> um, I just want to give some love one more time to Daniel and Hilda and Janie and Amika and Laura and Damon. I actually just think that like it was so, I was like, yo, I want to do this every month. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> we could do it at your house. <laughs> we could. We could do it at my house. Um, Can I there love- be strippers? Yeah. Rooftop bar. <laughs> yo, someone, the actual next episode is Date Big Tree. Is what we're going to be doing up in this. So let's show her some love. Thank um, you. And Lauda. Yeah. If you want to, uh, if you want to take big cheer Lauda on a corn date, feel free to go ahead and inbox the hood wazi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it. Janie, their social media manager. Yes. Janie will pass on the message. I will pass the message. Charles too. I won't take the good ones either. Charles too. Charles to Charles. Except for no, no, no. Fuck that. Charls was on the whole don't date activist. That's exactly right. No, no. We'll get him a basic person. We'll get him a basic. I'm just, I'm just thinking about the people. I want people to have help. I'm thinking about the people. We need affection, not Charles. We need radical honesty. And uh, you can't, um, none of this, like, I enjoyed your perspective. You said some real shit. No, you have to, you have to be like, I think you cute and I want to get in your pants. Right. <laughs> no, that'll get people canceled louder in this culture. Yeah, you gotta that walk that fine line but I think you cute uh, and I want to get you tacos is a good say a <laughs> food thing and a thing I like. The We're going to keep it PG. Right. right. Thank yeah. you. Not in pants in a taco. Yeah. So. Uh, all right. I'm going to go eat a taco. And by that, I mean my boyfriend's ass. I hope you all have a great <laughs> night. I love you all so much.
Shout out Sean's ass. Shout out to Sean's ass.